Amen. Please be seated. As you're taking your seats, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis this morning, Genesis chapter 12. We are starting a new sermon series today um, where we will be looking at Genesis chapter 12 um, all the way through Genesis chapter 36. And as we do so, it'll be helpful to look briefly at um, some background information or receive a bit of background information about the book of Genesis. The book really can be divided into three major sections. Um, you can look at the first section being Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11, being the primeval period. Um, we studied this back in 2021. The section that we are about to jump into this morning, um, 12 through 36, is often called the patriarchal period, primarily uh, discussing and explaining the life of Abraham, his life and his descendants' life, and really the, the fleshing out of that covenant promise of God's covenant keeping uh, and of how God calls a particular people to himself, and that's what we will be talking about over the weeks to come. And then the final section, um, chapters 37 through 50, um, contain the story of Joseph, which uh, brings what will be the people of Israel to Egypt and really sets them up for their time uh, in Egypt uh, and sets them up for everything that will then lead them into being a particular people. And so Genesis is integral, in, integral to our faith and to um, what we know about God. In fact, the, when we studied 1 through 11, we called it the foundations of faith, um, and it remains true that you could really call 1 through 50, this whole book, the foundations of our faith. Um, much of what we know and believe comes in these 50 chapters. We also accept that this was written by Moses, as were the, um, the whole of the first five books of uh, the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. It was most likely written sometime between 1500 and 1400 B.C. Moses would have received these words from God himself. He would have gotten some of this information from oral tradition passed down from generation to generation. We do affirm that the book of Genesis is historical in its intent and in its nature. Therefore, it should be taken as fact, not simply a book for moral or literary purposes. And so that is a little bit of the background, um, particularly if you weren't with us when we studied chapters 1 through 11. But in our section in particular, as we jump into chapter 12 this morning, we're going to be looking at the life of a man at this point named Abram. You may also know him as Abraham. I will try really hard to use the right name, um, pre-blessing, post-blessing, uh, but forgive me if I interchange the two. And it's, it's worth noting that the significance of Abram cannot be overstated. Chapters 1 through 11 cover a great deal of history, depending on your, your view of the creation of the world, if it's 3,000 years old or, or older, depending on your interpretation. You've got, at, at minimum, about 1,500 years of history in 1 through 11. And then it's starting in chapter 12, we're going to cover about 100 and there's a, there's a reason for that. We zoom through history, sweeping arcs, covering grand movements by God, 
and then we slow down to a crawl a almost daily life of this man. And we do that to hear, to hear God's call on his life. We, we do that because his redemptive work in Abram is just like the redemptive work he does in you and me today. And so in some ways, to study the life of Abram is to study our own lives. And that's why we will we'll spend a great deal of time in this section, um, and I'm excited to now open it up before you. With that being said, would you please follow along with me as we, we read the first words in this new section, the call of Abram. I would like to read in chapter 12, verse 1, all the way through verse 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at the time the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Just as the rain falls from heaven and waters the earth, so too this day does God's word go forth and nourish and provide everything that you and I need for faith and for life. Would you please bow with me as we once again go before our Lord and our God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it Lord, we thank you that it has been sung, it has been prayed, it has been confessed, and it has been received already this day. And would you continue to be with us now as we hear the preaching and teaching of your word. Lord, would you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we might receive it. As many say that the foundations of our faith are found within these passages. The foundations with your covenant of redemption, the foundations of who we are as a people today can be found and who you called Abram and his family to be. And so, Lord, with great joy and with great excitement, would you help us to, to receive that which you have placed before us? We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned a quote this week. If you, you saw our introduction to this series online or um, in various formats, I'm from James Montgomery Boyce, a pastor and theologian I, I often will go to when looking for the right interpretation of Scripture. James Montgomery Boyce says this of Genesis chapter 12, No one can understand the Old Testament 
without understanding Abram. For in many ways, the history of redemption begins with God's call to him. The story of Abram is just that, a story of redemption. It shows that our God calls a particular people unto himself and that he is a keeper of his promises. If you step back just a, a, a few verses from chapter 12, you look at the end of chapter 20 or chapter 11, in verse 27, it's the first time we see Abram mentioned. And you see that Abram is the descendant of Terah. His father is Terah. And this is significant, and this shouldn't be overlooked. For if we go to Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, in the first few verses, Joshua is speaking to the people of God, and he says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made him his, or made his offspring many. You see, Terah, Abram's father, was a pagan idol worshiper. Abram grew up in a pagan environment where the Lord was not known. It would have been very easy for him to have lived a life of insignificance. And yet, all because God called him, because God called out to him, God chose him, God set him apart, he became one of the most significant figures in the Old Testament and is listed as one of the most faithful people in all of Scripture. God's plan of redemption and His plan of setting a people apart unto Himself is clearly seen through the life of Abram and of his children. And this is really what we will be studying over the next year or so. And as we consider these, these first few verses that, that begin this story this morning, I want us to see three actions that God takes in this man's life. Each of these will, will take Abram exactly to where he needs to be to fulfill God's plan for him and for his descendants. And as we do so, please know that these actions are not only actions that God took in the life of Abram, but he still takes them in the lives of believers today. As I said just a moment ago, to study Abram and God's calling of him is to study our own lives and study how God continues to work even today. God promises blessing for his people. God calls his people to be set apart. And God provides a home for his people. God's providence, God's care, and God's wisdom continues we see it in the life of Abram, and we continue to see it today. And we will see this in each of the movements of our passage. So I do invite you to follow along with me as we see if each of these unfold. You can find this outline on the insert inside of your bulletin. And we'll begin with this idea that God promises blessing for His people. Verse 1, we, we don't get a lot of intro into, into their relationship. We don't get a lot of, um, of background. Verse 1 begins, go. 
God to Abram, Go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. One commentator made notes here. It said it's important to see the specific degree of separation that God is calling Abram to here. It's not just that God tells him to go. He tells him, go in these circumstances. Leave your country, and then he zooms in. Leave your kindred, and then he zooms in. Leave your very father's house. As we mentioned earlier, the life that God is calling him to leave is a life of pagan worship. It's a life that does not conform to God's commands. He's calling him to leave a sinful life of sinful practice. And really what God's calling him to do is be faithful. Trust me by faith. Believe in me. Believe in my promises. Believe in what I tell you will be for you. Isn't it interesting? He's told very specifically what to leave. Your country, your kindred, your father's house. And then vaguely where he's going. To a place that I'll tell you later. For many of us, we would have kind of reluctantly raised, oh God, can you clarify that real quick? But while we know that that may be our heart's reaction, what we see in the text and what we will read very clearly in verse 4, this just displays the level of faith that Abram had. God said, go. He didn't even say where. Just go and I'll let you know later. And what we'll see in verse 4, some of the most powerful words in his life, and he went. As we think about the life of Abram and we think about this passage, it's helpful for us to consider our own faith. Do we trust God that much? Would we pack it all up when he calls? Would we leave home and kindred and all that we know? When the Lord said, go, and I'll tell you when you get there, when you get there. I mean, let's be honest, how, how many of us, or at least in my own life, um, we're apt to put in the GPS directions to some place we know where it is. Maybe that just speaks to my lack of sense of direction, but we're such a non-trusting people. We're, we're a people that want to know precisely where we're going, precisely how we're going to get there, precisely what it's going to be like, the weather, the temperature, the climate. We want every detail laid out before us. We need all these concrete evidences laid out before us. And sometimes that's just being thoughtful, that's planning ahead. But if we're honest, sometimes isn't that just showing a, a hint of a lack of faith that we have, that it's all going to work out, it's all going to be okay, that the Lord will provide? And so when we look at the life of Abram, when we look at the degrees of faith that he shows, it should encourage us, and it should cause us to be a little more sober about our faith. Now, let me be honest here. We will continue to, to lift up Abram in his faith. We will continue to, to show him, as the Bible does, as, as one of the most faithful people in all of Scripture. He does have a few problems, though. <laughs> he shows great faith in some areas of God's promise. Namely, go, and he went. But as we keep reading, we're going to run into some tricky spots for him. Look at the next part of God's promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, the earth shall be blessed. God is telling Abram, I will set you apart. I will so mark you as my own that those around you and generations after you will be impacted by your life, by your decisions, by what I have done in you and through you. And In fact, he goes so far to say that all the families of the earth shall be blessed because of you. Now there's a, a, a textual matter here that I want to make sure I bring up. And I don't have really a lengthy amount of time to go into it deeply. It's easy to, to hear that and go, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, wait a minute, Aaron. I hear you. Well, we know that not all people will have faith. Not all people will believe. So how can all of the families of the earth be blessed? Well, they will be blessed by the coming of the Savior. They will be blessed. And it's helpful here um, in the Hebrew you could translate family as clan or people group. All of the peoples, all of the clans of the earth shall be blessed. Much like Jesus, go to all the nations, preach and proclaim my word. Go therefore, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus Christ is a blessing to all people. Whether they believe or don't believe, He is still a blessing to them, for He is God incarnate. And there's much, much, much more that needs to be said by that and about that. But just know that we're not saying here that everyone would believe because of Abram. No, everyone would be blessed because of Abram, ultimately because of Christ. And so I just I, I give that to you. And I apologize if I just caused more questions and problems than I did answers. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's the way it works. Um, but there is a problem with this. There, there is a problem with this blessing. And not just that all families will be blessed. Abram and Sarai can't have kids. They're barren. They don't have children. Even at this point. And I don't know at this point if they fully understand or not that they're incapable of having kids. But they certainly don't have kids. And God just said to them, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your generations. I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to bless your descendants. Put yourself in their shoes. At the end of the day, all you, all you have is, okay, God, I guess you know what you're saying. What a, again, what a degree of faith. What a degree of trust in God, at least at this point. We'll get a few, let us go a few more chapters and you'll go, okay, I see. You didn't have as much faith as you think you did. And that's true. There will be some doubt that creeps in. But Abram at this point had to trust that what God said will come to pass. That what God said will be true. And he does. He does trust God. And it's also helpful for us to remember, we who are on this side of the narrative know that children do come. But put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in their position when they had to just say, God, you know. We are also blessed. If you go to the New Testament, you can go to the genealogies of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, particularly Luke chapter 3. 
verses 23 through 28, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this promise. In fact, in the Luke passage, it says very clearly, Jesus, the descendant of Abraham. God did not fail to answer this. God did not fail to provide that which He promised. Jesus Christ is that promise. And for that, we praise God. Again, looking narrowly at this passage we find out quickly, does Abraham, or excuse me, Abram have enough faith? Does he have enough faith at this point to trust God and to obey God and to listen to God, to hear those promises and to act upon them? Well, let's see. We see it in our second section. And we note that when God calls a people to Himself, when God sets a people apart, when God says, you are mine, obey me, the only response, the only way we will respond is, yes, Lord. And some of the most powerful words in Abram's life, the first three words of verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord told him. So Abram went. He obeyed God. He trusted Him, not even fully knowing what was ahead, He trusted more in God's promise than what he had around him. He had a nation. He had a people. He had a household. He probably had a job. He probably had a profession. He probably had everything laid out for him. He could have had a comfortable life. He could have lived with ease with his family. And yet he said, I lay it all down for the sake of God. I don't know what's ahead, but I look forward to it because I trust the God that is telling me that I am His. And this is what God requires. To be a follower of Christ is to put God above everything else. It is to say, I will follow your plan for my life even when I don't fully understand it. And one of the books I I use in in counseling, in particular I'm doing some premarital counseling for some former students. It's a wonderful book called Tying the Knot. And each chapter of that book gives a topic for marriage, communication, problem solving, finances, intimacy, um, relationships. And then there's this tagline, there's this refrain, with Jesus Christ at the center. Every chapter in the book is a marital topic, usually ones that need to be discussed, with Jesus Christ at the center. That is most certainly true in marriage and even more so true in all of our lives. Everything that goes on in our lives, everything that we discuss, any potential issues, any potential conflict should be cradled with Jesus Christ at the center. And in fact, if we're honest, don't all of our problems come about when we leave off that tag? Don't our problems come up in our marriages and our relationships at work and our finances and our relationships when we say finances with me at the center or just finances? Don't our relationships fall apart when it's not how do I relate to this person with Jesus at the center, but how do I relate to them so that I get what I want, so that I look better, so that I accomplish this? It cannot be that way. When God calls you, He calls you to be set apart. He calls you to be His. Who you are is His. You belong to Him. That's how it must be. 
And we know that that was the case for Abram. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. But he didn't go alone. He's being told to be set apart, but that's not to be isolated. Lot went with him. Um, Sarai, his wife. And all those that they had acquired in Haran. They all set out to go to the land of Canaan. Abram leaves because the Lord tells him. And guess what? We already, we don't have to wait. You know, verses 1 through 3, God promises a people. God promises his name. God promises an identity. Verses 4 through 6, we start to see it fulfilled. Abram leaves and a people leave with him. His wife, his nephew, and people from Haran. And at this point, we want to be very careful that the scriptures don't really lay it out. Is it because Sarai and Lot trust in the Lord yet? We don't know. But they most certainly trust what the Lord told Abram. Did the people from Haran go because they're servants? Is it a a master-servant relationship? Or did they go because Abram's preaching the gospel? He's preaching about Yahweh and trusting in this God, and they said, I want to be a part of that. We don't know. But we know that they went because they obeyed Abram, and Abram obeyed God. And so there's this gathering, there's this uniting, there's this fellowship that's taking place because Abram trusted the Lord. Abram trusted God and consequences flowed. A people flowed from that. Now we do admit this is where some of the problems come in. Um, There's probably a particular reason why Abram wanted Lot uh, to carry the bloodline. Um, So this is hinting at they, they understand that they're having trouble having kids at this point and he wants the most likely heir to be with him in case he needs someone to fulfill God's promise. But that we'll get to in the following chapters. Abram shows a great deal of faith when God calls a people unto himself. Abram also shows a great deal of faith, and this, while not sinful, would have definitely been countercultural. His father's still alive. His father's still alive. If you go back to the genealogy in chapter 11, you, you realize his dad didn't, live, didn't die till much later in life. Abram's only 70, um, 75 when he leaves. Abram is so trusting in God, he's placing one's hope in him above one's family. And this would, this would fit well with what Jesus says in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and child and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now let's be clear here. Jesus is not saying hate your family. Jesus is not saying that you should despise them. Jesus is saying here, your love for me should be so great that all other relationships look like hatred in comparison. Your love for me should be so great that everything else should be seen as a contrast. What Abram was saying here and what God called the disciples to do is say, I am first. I am first. Wherever I send you, whatever I send you to do. And isn't that the challenge for us today? Isn't that the hard part about being a disciple? When we commit ourselves fully to God, we commit ourselves to His plan and His will. But here's the beauty of it. It's easy to hear all this and panic. When God does this, everything falls into place. Look at the ones who gave up their own possessions to follow Abram. Sarai, 
she followed. Now, again, at this point, we're not sure if it's true faith or if it's just trusting in her husband. Her name originally meant princess. Sarai can be translated as princess. The Lord will change it here in just a few chapters to Sarah, which can be translated as mother of all nations. And so princess, heir of the promise to mother of many. And so by following her husband who is following God, she is blessed. Look at Lot. <laughs> oh, Lot. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, say, consider righteous Lot. And if you remember when we were studying the book of Peter, I admitted that's an odd thing to call Lot, especially as we continue to read. Sarah is the mother of nations, even though she is barren. And Lot is called righteous, even though, and let's just briefly list a few of his sins, he camps out intentionally in a sinful city. He offers his daughters up as payment for the townspeople not raping the strangers, and even impregnates his own daughters due to their sinful plot. Is that really the one you want called righteous? Yes, it is. Why? Because the Lord said, you are righteous. The Lord said to Sarah, you may seem to be barren, you may seem to be unable to have children, but I call you the mother of nations. It has nothing to do with the person and everything to do with the God. Our God says you are righteous. Our God says you are holy. Our God says you are mine. And when he does, that is who you are. It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter what lifestyle you did live up until that point. When he declares you his and we repent of our sin and we trust in him by faith, we are called righteous and holy. We are called members of a heavenly kingdom, heirs to an inheritance that which cannot be numbered. And that's what we see in the last part of our passage is that the Lord not only provides promises, the Lord not only sets us apart, but the Lord provides a home for those who have been cast out and set to wander. Would you look there with me now in, in the final verses? Moses records for us Abram's marching into the land that would become that promise. We see it if you, you second half of verse 5. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the yoke of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, this may be, seem to be a problem. God just said, I will provide you a place, a land, a home. I will provide you a people. And God takes him to a place and says, look at everything. And Abram's like, it's already taken. You can imagine that response. You can imagine, that, uh-oh, God, uh, can we pick one that's not full of large, angry-looking people? But God says this, to your offspring I will give this land. Abram saw others possessing the land and enjoying its benefits, Abram saw a land beautiful and fair and wonderful, part of what would be the promised land. And God simply states, your descendants will possess it. God is not worried about who is populating it. And to Abram's credit, again, it's not stated, but it's implied. He responds, okay, God, now let's worship. Okay, God, now let's worship. If that's what you're going to say, and if that's what you're going to proclaim, and if that's what you're promising over me and my descendants, then I will praise you. He sets up an altar and sacrifices to God right then and there. 
Because Abram knew something so significant. If God says it will be so, it will be so. And from there he moves on. He roams and he worships. He roams and he worships. He builds altar after altar. He journeys trusting in the Lord and trusting in his promise. Because in his mind the matter settled. God has declared it. It must be so. As believers today, oh, that we would have the faith of Abram. It is true in our lives as it is true in his. God has promised us a home. God has promised us a place in eternity with him. We are told that Christ will return. If you were with us through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude, it's not only that he will return, he will do so soon. And when Christ comes back, Christ will claim his bride. Christ will enact judgment upon those who have rejected him and fought against the church. This is guaranteed. Oh, that we would rest in that this morning. But maybe you're here this morning and your worry isn't trusting that God will do his word or fulfill his promise. Maybe you're here this morning and your fear is trusting him in the first place. Let me encourage you this morning in closing. Abram came from a pagan family. Sarai will let herself be passed off as a single woman, not once but twice in the following chapters, to save them from assault and attack. Now, it's probably at the, the, the pushing of her husband. Lot will live amongst a pagan people who have wicked, wicked practices. And yet God called each of them out of their sin. God called each of them, including Abram, and said, you are mine. I don't care what you were. I don't care who you were. You are mine. God saves sinners. All you have to do is repent of your sin and trust in him by faith. And so if you hear this this morning and you're worried that you're outside of this promise, you're worried that this does not apply to you, then repent. Trust in Him today, now. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Trust in the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And if the Lord declares that it is so. And if you're here today and you are in Christ, I just encourage you, trust that God's a promise-keeping God. Please don't grow weary from the battle. Please don't grow weary from the struggle. Recognize He does what He says He will do. God has called you. God has set you apart, and God is preparing a home for you. Jesus Christ said, with my own hands, I go to prepare a place for you. Believe that today, dear brothers and sisters. This is how we rightly answer the call of God for our lives. And each and every day, we deny ourselves, trusting in Him, and trusting that soon He will come and take us home. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a beautiful set of promises this morning. What, what a beautiful display of the fact that you have been redeeming your people from the beginning, setting them apart, declaring them yours. Oh Lord, would everyone here know these promises? Would they trust in you with their hearts and with their lives? Would they rest in your finished work through Jesus Christ who came, who lived, who died and rose again from the dead? Would they receive your blessing this day? And would they live each day looking forward 
to the day which all promises from you will be fulfilled. I pray this over each one here this morning. In Christ's name, amen.